Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Stephen Mitchley about increasing productivity and business performance through prioritizing health within the workplace. Stephen Mitchley, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. Pleased to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I'm excited to have a nice conversation with you today. We're going to be focusing on increasing productivity and business performance through prioritizing health within the workplace. I think this is, of course, super important from a human perspective. Like, we just want to be humane. We want to take care of our people. We want them to have a physically healthy, psychologically, emotionally healthy place to work. Um, but it also has big impacts for the bottom line of the organization. Uh, it will increase productivity. It will increase uh, other positive metrics and outcomes, uh, performance outcomes for the organization. Uh, so we can t- really talk about it from both angles. As we get started, I wanted to share Stephen's bio with everybody. Stephen Mitchley, Chief Strategy Officer, leads Vitality Group's digital and global partner disciplines. He brings more than 25 years of experience and expertise in overseeing operations and technology to the Vitality Group product team. Mr. Mitchley joined Vitality Group's parent, South Africa-based Discovery Holdings Limited in 2000 and has had exposure across the group, leading large-scale process re-engineering activities and designing and building operations for new products and services. Prior to helping found the Vitality Group as COO in December of 2007, he headed up the business solutions division responsible for broad operating model design, quality management, resource planning, data integrity, business intelligence, and system support. Again, it is such a pleasure, Stephen, to be with you today. I always love having guests on from all over the world. It's a pleasure. Uh, Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we launch on in? Yeah, I wouldn't describe myself as a reformed engineer, although um, I was an engineer by profession. Um, I joined Discovery Vitality about um, 21 years ago now. And I was really attracted by this idea that um, their core purpose was to make people healthier. So you can imagine deep level gold mining, heavy technical engineering, and you go, what's this about? <laughs> what are we doing for society? And you know, starting the, uh, with the company then, we had about 900 staff. And I thought to myself, if I have a good day or bad day, at least I'll walk away knowing that I made people healthier. So it's, it's um, my core purpose of making people healthier. I think it's something that really anchors us. And um, the topic today is really close to my heart. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Excellent. Thank you uh, so much for a little bit more background. And yeah, so let's let's just dive right on in. What is the impact of health within the workplace? And we can think about health broadly. Uh, there's lots of different health outcomes. We're, you know, we're certainly concerned about worker stress and anxiety, burnout, 
um, but other chronic illness uh, and, and uh, physical safety. There, there's all sorts of different elements to this. So what do you see as some of those broad impacts? Yeah, um, great question. I think um, something that you, you spoke about, about the, the bottom line, you know, the, back in the day, uh, uh, certainly when I was, I was going through my management training, our objectives were, objective was um, to maximize share um, holders' uh, wealth. And I think John Nelkinton changed that with a triple bottom line and said the companies have a duty of you know, to report on financial, on social, and environmental. And I think we're, we're strong advocates of, of saying, well, there's probably a bit more in there that we should be reporting on, especially the, the health of, of our, our people as well. And, you know, there's a, there's a great opportunity for self-insured employers to make not only an impact on their productivity and the well-being of, of the employees, but also to have a societal impact as well. Um, and, you know, you, you think, well, intuitively, I think the listeners would know that a healthy worker or healthy employee is a productive employee. We, we know that as well. That, that makes sense. But we've got profound studies globally. Um, so here in the US and the UK, that shows that um, there's a massive drain on the organization due to absenteeism, presenteeism. Um, some 38 days are lost on average per, per year due to health-related impacts. So there's a very direct correlation between your performance as a business and the the health and well-being of the population. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're advocates of investing in that because the returns are, are pretty substantial. Yeah, and, and you mentioned absenteeism, and certainly that's a problem. Um, of course, beyond absenteeism is turnover. That's a huge expense and a problem Correct. for organizations. But I also think of things like withdrawal cognition. Uh, people mm-hmm. who are still physically there, they show up, but they've mentally checked out because for whatever reason, they decided that, you know, uh, why, why should they invest in the organization if the organization's not investing in them? You know, it, that's yeah. the kind of, that's the situation where, you know, people show up to work and then they spend half their day looking for jobs somewhere else. Yeah, um, yeah, and so exactly. obviously so that just... leads to lost productivity, that leads to yeah. negative team dynamics, a whole slew Correct. of problems. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the Rand Europe and Cambridge study was really health-related absenteeism and presenteeism, which didn't take into account these more cultural elements. You know, we, we, we do see the Vitality program as, as being not only a, a carriage and stick approach to what was an outcome of um, lowering healthcare costs. That's one way to look at it. And, you know, obviously, if you, you are doing that, you are protecting the bottom line. But it's it's broader than that. You know, I think, I think there is a, a, a sense of a, a need for the we at work. You know, what we found is and we saw um, and support in installation of vitality chat. So people at the on the call face who are gathering around health themes and self-organizing, who go on walks with their colleagues. And there's a lot of community, a communion around that particular topic. And obviously that's got a spin-off effect on on the broader sense of belonging. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think right at the end of his, his career, he said the most important thing is a feeling of belonging. It's so ingrained in us because we knew at a core that if you weren't, weren't part of a team, the line would eat you. You, know, it's, you. you need to be able to contribute. And I think, I think um, rallying behind uh, common things beyond just the mission of the, the company is a good binding agent for organizations and an important one as well. So how, how can organizations go about prioritizing health of their people? If they recognize both the human benefit uh, uh, of belonging, connection, 
and just health, the humanity of it, but also the bottom line impacts of it. They realize it's going to lead to greater levels of, of productivity and high performance. So how do we prioritize it? How do we start to put that into action and create, yeah. you know, the kind of a culture around workplace health and well-being? Yeah, for me, it's a um, starting, well, the starting point for me is, is recognizing what problem you're trying to solve. Um, you know, we do a lot of, in the design discipline, we do a lot of design thinking. So often in product, there's a, a rush to say, well, let's make this thing look this way. But you really have to st- take a step back and say, well, that's great, great concept, but what problem are we trying to solve? And um, you know, we, we're great proponents of incentivizing behavior. Um, but then the question becomes, what do you incentivize? What what are you trying to overcome? And I, I, I put it to most people that you know, health engagement is a bit of a misnomer. You don't really engage with a health plan so much as you engage in the sickness. So you you go and you, know, you go and see the doctor. That's not quite engaging in the health. And part of the problem, and part of the blessing, is that we, by by nature as a species, are incredibly optimistic. When I mean, if we actually think through the last year. The year before that, all the all the turmoil and the trouble that we've seen. You know, you'd wake up in the morning and <laughs> you probably wouldn't go to work. You wouldn't. You'd be, you'd be debilitated. But we we don't do that. We wake up and we're optimistic that there's something better out there. But that also counts against us. We have this massive optimism about our ability to beat the odds. To you know, um, we have optimism around our our performance. We have optimism around um, the state of our health. You know, you, you ask a the average employee, employee um, you know, how, how have they done in their performance review? And the majority of people say that they're above average, which logically is not possible, but that's the sense of the human spirit. And the same is true of, of health. You know, the, even people with um, three, four comorbidities, 60% of them would rate their, their health as fair to good to brilliant. So we, we have this amazing ability to, to be in denial which serves us well in some instances, but not so much in health. Now, I think the the challenge for us is to overcome um, something that we call hyperbolic discounting. So, yeah, we, we tend to underweight things that are in, in the future that we we can't quite get to, and overweight the things that are immediate. So, very practically, um, sickness, palliative care is easy to engage with. You know, if I feel sick, I go to the doctor. I feel better. I don't really see the, the cost because it's typically paid by the, the insurer. That's engaging in sickness. Engaging in health is a little bit, little bit tougher. I mean, the, the costs are, are, are there up front, front and center. I have to pay for the gym. I have to put the effort in up front. But the rewards are actually a little bit more intangible. You don't get them the day that you do them. If I, if I want to lose weight and I go for a run, it's not like I come back from the run and I've lost weight. I have to run a lot, I have to change my diet. It's, it's a, a progression. Even then, I've lost some weight. I haven't seen the benefit of this in the future. So we focus a lot on bringing, bringing that experience, bringing those dynamics into the presence and making it very real and visceral for the individual. One of the techniques is something called vitality age, which is an all-risk mortality adjusted age. Very fancy term, but it basically measures how you are relative to your chronological age. If I, if I gave you a score, Jonathan, of you know, your, um, your health is at 80%. For me, as an engineer, that was a distinction. I mean, that's brilliant. I don't, that, that's how the, the mind works. For some people, 70% is not that bad. You know? If I say to you that you're three years older than you should be, suddenly <laughs> ego kicks in. And it's something that you can really relate to. So we, we, we're, we're really 
do try and frame things up in meaningful ways. I mean, that's that's one trick or one one technique. And I, I think the other is is placing incentives in the in the correct places. So um, yeah, being being careful about being too outcomes focused. You know, we, we ran a, a study in South Africa where we, we incentivized people for weight loss. And what we found was uh, people didn't succeed, got really angry because not only didn't they get the incentive, but they actually didn't lose the weight. And that's the point. So we flipped that around and incentivized people for trying, doing the right inputs, and yeah, the output measures will, will follow. So I, I would I'd say that, that that for me is a, a key aspect to try and get right. That you realize it's not just about saying, gee, let's all get healthy. It's people have got real issues. So how do you support them in navigating on a whole person basis those issues? Make it really personal and specific to them as well. Yeah, so you've talked a bit about the incentives when you're designing programs uh, to help people improve their health and become more engaged. What Any other types of incentives or rewards that you might use in, in terms of structuring that for them to yeah, drive exactly. better outcomes? excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. You know, as I said, I'm quite long in the tooth and industry. I've been with with my family now 21 years, and... When I first joined, this predates cell phones, predates the websites. Um, we had um, in the program a lot of great rewards, but they were all based on processes that uh, the loyalty industry had at the time. Like if you wanted to go to gym, you know, that's an anchor, anchor benefit. Um, you get a voucher from us, take the voucher to gym. If you wanted to get a discount on your flights, you'd do the same. And we, we, we came up with this mantra of intuitive, real-time integrated as a way of designing experiences. So the first thing for me is, um, and the lesson there for me was um, really inertia kills initiatives. If you can make things simple and intuitive for members um, and for employees, you really get profound changes in behavior. And we saw, um, we were able to increase our engagement rates by 900% in one year, and our call rate for the program dropped by 27%, just with that simple design philosophy. you know, it turns out that my grandmother was right, and Apple a day does keep the doctor away. We we had uh, this gym program that was a user can lose a thing. So you you join the program, you could you could join a gym for free, 
or for a small amount, and it was free, provided you exercise. And that that really, I mean, it, it grew that that, um, that business dramatically. And fast forward to to a few years ago, uh, we innovated around a product with Apple Watch, where essentially you can get a a, a beautiful Apple Watch for say twenty dollars. So that's your commitment, and then it's free, provided you exercise. So if you don't exercise, you have to pay the watch off over two years. So there's a month that amount that comes off every month. But if you do exercise, you don't pay at all. And you'd be amazed at how that loss aversion drives the right right sort of behavior. And can can we flip that? So I've seen the opposite where you do all these checkpoints, you you hit all these benchmarks, and then at the end you get the Apple Watch. Do you see a difference in giving it up front and then having them pay it back? versus yeah, yeah, yeah. the end goal. No, no. Yeah, yeah, massive. Um, the loss aversion program is far superior. In fact, Grand Europe did a study across 400,000 members, and they showed that um, there was a 34% increase in physical active engagement and was sustained over the two-year period. And the, 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 the results were far more superior to cash back programs. I mean, it's, it's an interesting way to think of it. If I say, say to you, um, I'm going to give you this value for exercising, that's a cash back, You'll monetize your activity and you'll work out that it's not really worth your while to exercise today because it's only 50 cents. But I flip that on its head and say, if you don't exercise, then we'll charge you for the watch. It's still the same economics, but you get this gearing of the behavior. So it is about putting the right the right incentive mechanics in place. I mean, yeah, a very good one um, is if you say to somebody, don't do this and you know, you'll, you won't die. The, the threat of a loss of life doesn't really work. We've seen it with smoking. If you if you flip that on its head and talk about the the benefits of of healthy activity in your older ages with your grandchildren, you get a profound effect um, in terms of behavioural change. So a lot of a lot of this is about anchoring the behaviours and anchoring the messaging around what can ignites that individual in a present context, rather than you know taking into account um, carriage sticks. That, that might have the, the wrong sort of behavior. Um, and and yeah, so as then, you're describing this, mm, what mm. My, my experience with organizations that have wellness programs uh, and various initiatives to try to drive better employee health, they're almost always the opposite of what you're describing. They, it's almost always the long-term benefit uh, focused on a, a reward down the line, uh, focused on, you know, uh, making sure that you you take care of yourself so that you don't you know get lung cancer in the future, whatever. All these uh, public awareness programs, a lot of organizational uh, wellness initiatives, uh, they're focusing. It sounds like the opposite of what your research suggests is going to be most effective. And so then my question is, well, why? Yeah. I mean, if 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 the research is so clear, why are people so slow to adopt a different approach? And what are the obstacles, you know, to to getting there? I think it is a, a mindset change. I mean, the, um, if you look at the health insurance industry, there's a lot of talk about patient engagement. Um, so I think through that, and I think, well, isn't that the heart of the problem that we see people as patients? If, um, the founder of our company um, started a health insurance business with the, the premise that if you supply, if you focused on the the demand side upfront rather than the supply side, so Rob, instead of focusing on you're contracting and all the rest of it, focusing on, on the demands of getting people to interact with them with their lifestyle behaviors, you'd have a profound effect on the, the risk pool. And this is this has been demonstrated. I mean we 
we've got an automobile insurance program where um, it's very similar to what you'd see here in the States, where you, know, you measure yourself, you get better rates. Now, what we do is we flip that on its head and you get the benefit immediately. So at the gas station, you get a discount on your gas. But if you don't drive well, then the discount disappears. And you get you actually get behavior change as opposed to something that is just pre-selection, which is you know, um, safe drivers don't mind being reported, so they would take that product. Um, I, think, I think there is a lot of resistance to new ways of thinking. That, that is part of it. And quite frankly, I think um, there, there could be an element of, of design that isn't evidence-based that, uh, I mean, we've seen these concepts um, successful in other businesses. So it's not, I don't want to report that we're the only people um, doing this, but I think the, the an industry that, that says we'll give you value to doing a risk assessment. Yeah, we've never done that. What we've always said is there's value to be attained and, and to unlock that part of the process is to getting to know you. And part of that process is the risk assessment. So we don't monetize that action. Because once you've monetized that action, then the next thing becomes more expensive. It's it's more, you know, you're you're trying to get people to embrace that you're there to support them, um, and that you want the experience to be deeply personal for them, not just random cohorts that have been selected by by someone, and then you guide them in the process. So I think it's a it's a slightly different mindset if you if you start with the consumer in mind rather than the outcome to the risk pool in mind, which is quite frankly often what I see that. The objective is to lower the risk pool, but we don't approach it in a shared value approach, which basically says, if I would benefit from this behavior, how could I take some of that benefit and channel it back into the person that is creating the benefit? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this is really important stuff for anyone listening today. Um, think about how your organization is structuring these types of programs um, what your kind of motivational philosophy is um, mm. for people. And are you doing more of an extrinsic carrot stick kind of an approach to drive, you know, more healthy behaviors, or are you finding a way to tap into intrinsic uh, motivation of individuals? And that was one thing that struck me as you described the difference between talking about someone's, you know, danger of dying versus the ability for them to enjoy, you know, later life with their grandkids and, and have fun yes, with exactly. them, right? Exactly. Like that's tapping into my internal motivation that, you know, my, my love for family, my desire to yeah, be there for it's them. It's your why. Exactly. It's my, it's my exactly. why. Exactly. Yeah. And so how often are we tapping into the why um, behind behavior in the workplace, whether it's health related or a variety of other types of issues um, versus, you know, we, we, we create these extrinsic types of motivators that, kind of work, but often don't work as, as well as the intrinsic. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think you also think you just coming back to the point of the, um, the triple bottom line. I mean, as an organization, most, most companies are looking after the, the health, paying for the health of their employees, you know, being self, self-insured. And some, some are obviously small and uh, not fully insured, but self-insured employee, yes, there's value to you in productivity. There's value to you in, in a lack of presenteeism, there's value to you in you know, lowering those costs, but there's also societal value. I mean, the, the one we've spoken about, which is the cultural elements, you know, if, if people do feel that you love them, you are looking after them, that's your that's where you're coming from, there's benefits there, but um, there's broader societal impacts as well, which 
Um, yeah, we've, we've seen with um, being a um, health insurers in both South Africa and the UK, very large um, health insurers with massive, massive data about actual claims, actual life insurance, actual death, that engaging on this vitality program actually has a, a very positive effect for folk relative to the risk of COVID. And we developed a, a COVID resilience index based on vitality engagement. So we, we've seen that um, people who are are highly engaged, notice it engaged, not, not active. People highly engaged um, demonstrate an 11% lower risk of hospitalization. And even those that are slightly engaged with 6% lower. So there's a, I think there's a broader spin-off effect that you get on you know, engaging with folk to engage in their community, engaging in their health. It's not just about um, your bottom line, it's also about the, the impact of that in, the, in the, that individual's journey on yeah, in their life. And, how are they going to experience you know, better quality of life later on in years? Are they increasing their lifespan? Are they increasing their health span? Will they will they be um, well looked after? Will they look after themselves as they as they get older? So, yeah, you know, it sounds ethereal, but quite, quite frankly, it's not. It's um, it's a very practical and very very deep responsibility that we have in terms of looking after an employed base. It's not just that you know the quid pro quo, the tailorist gives people money, you get something back. But I think it's far broader than that. Stephen, it has been a real pleasure chatting with you about all of these elements. And I, I completely agree about the triple bottom line, um, kind of having this general uh, approach towards general public well-being uh, with how we're uh, approaching workplace health uh, and prioritizing that within the workplace. So clearly, there's so many uh, outcomes and benefits to organizations for, for focusing on this. Uh, for for their bottom line, but also for for the individuals within their organizations, for society as a whole, and uh, ultimately, I, I think this needs to be something of greater focus and prioritization. And we need to be thinking about how we design these programs in a way that can actually drive change, behavioral change, mm-hmm. uh, in the lives of of our people, so that we're not just going through the motions, checking the boxes, and saying, "Yeah, we ha- we have a wellness program." Check we're done. Um, and I, I see that in a lot of organizations mm-hmm. here in the U S too. They, you know, they, they can claim they have something, they can list it on their, their employee benefits. Um, but the utilization isn't very high and ultimately the impact isn't very much. And so it's a really lost opportunity. Well, Stephen, as we wrap up today, I just wanted to um, give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, sure. So um, we're reachable on vitalitygroup.com. Um, there's some great resources there, open to the public on return to work, um, dealing with COVID messaging. We've, we've done it throughout the, the pandemic, well-researched articles. There's a lot of um, toolkit where you know, all that you do is go there and have a look at the toolkits. Um, I think there's value for you there. Um, we, I would say we, you know, over the, the since 2008, which, um, we started the residency in the US, we already have adopted a mentality of if you've seen one employer, you've seen one employer. So the same care and focus that we take with the individual, we take with the individual organizations. You know, a company is exactly that. It's a company of individuals. So the culture, the, the, the pains, they all are going to be a slightly different context, a slightly different problem to solve. And that, yeah, we've got we've got quite a few um, areas in our quiver. Um, so we can solve some problems, we can give some expertise, but I think we, we're also very open to, to learning about what, what companies are struggling with so that we can try to find minds to, to help them. Um, that, 
Yeah, my, my sense is that most folk do want to, to um, lead change and often it's very difficult to do so because there's a lot of moving parts. So we had to, to really support in making that slightly simpler, uh, a bit more integrated, a bit more too intuitive and, and hopefully you know, folk can, can, um, can see the benefit within their populations. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Stephen. It has just been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, look more at your organization's research, um, figure out ways to leverage that and and to make, excuse me, a real difference in in your organizations. I encourage people to get connected, uh, reach out. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.